Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. I just want to give it up for this band, these musicians. Please help me do that. They do such an amazing job. This church is so lucky to have them. And it's great to see Nate back. He was down and out for a couple weeks. And just, uh, man, he's been doing this a long time. So thank you, Nate. You can hear me back there. Um, yeah, so uh, how many people are having a good week? How many people are having a not-so-good week? I don't know how to read that. Um, how many have been trying to live in abundance this week? Okay. How many are still struggling with that? Yeah, that's, I guess that's fair. You could be uh, both there. Uh, we are in, a, in a, a series called Abundance, and um, I, I don't know. I think the more I think about it, I think Carrie shares the same sentiment. It, it's very, very challenging because this is for everybody, and I want to be really clear. Like, and, I, and I think Carrie said this the first week. This is not about prosperity gospel at all. I mean, that's very unchristian, ungod, unbiblical this has to do with a mindset of how we live our lives in, in light of who God is. And when we really stop and consider that, man, it is a challenging, challenging thing to do. Because I think we just default to the opposite of that, which is called scarcity mindset. At least that's how we're defining it. Um, and so uh, this is, last week I, I tried to give us a visual for what this looks like. And so what we did was uh, to look, understand scarcity mindset. We took our hands and we clenched them in a fist and we put them around our chest and we just kind of held on. And I have a slide up here that's going to show you when we are living in a scarcity mindset, these are the things that we are living by, whether we know it or not, whether we're conscious about it or not. Number one, we're kind of living in the mindset that God just wants to take from us. And he can't be trusted, and he just wants stuff from us all the time. A scarcity mindset. Um, when, when troubles and, uh, and stuff hit our life, we start asking, why God? Why would this happen, especially to me? Like, why is this happening to me? I can't seem to get a break. That's, that's uh, vestiges of scarcity mindset. I said our feelings dictate our happiness. That's scarcity mindset. And we are mostly concerned, not, not entirely maybe, with our goals and our agendas. See what we're doing? We're just, this is mine. So then we took that and we said, but here's abundance mindset. And we relaxed and we opened our hands and we just kind of let them fall to our sides with our palms toward heaven because this is what we're saying when we talk about abundance mindset. Number one, God is a giver and he's good. And not only is he good, but he's for you. That's huge. That is a huge mindset shift for so many people that struggle with God, religion, and Christianity. 
I said, uh, when w- troubles hit our lives, we, instead of asking why, we're saying, okay, God, it's not that we have to like it, but we say, what do you want to do through this? What's, what does what, what my response need to look like here? Uh, number three, I said, instead of our feelings dictate our happiness, our faith needs to dictate our happiness. It's like the songs we just sung. We're going to trust God that he will never fail. We say it, we sing it, but do we really believe it, that he's never going to fail? And finally, I said, instead of being about our purposes and our agendas and our goals, abundance mindset is living for God. It's, it's living in what he wants to do, his agenda and his glory. And so the question is, how do we begin to change our life? How do we begin to go from scarcity mindset to abundance mindset? We open our hands. That's what we do. We begin to open our hands. And uh, I did talk about three ways we open our hands to God. And and today, uh, I want to zero in on one of them. One of the things I said is we need to rethink this idea that we have of ownership, And today, I'm going to do my best to expand upon that a little bit. So let me set this up really, really quickly. Um, Today, I'm going to warn you that this is one of the topics that people get scared to talk about in church. Sometimes churches make it really, really cringy to talk about. Um, We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about wealth. Now, if you're a guest uh, here or not a church person, I, I, I want to say, I, I, I hope that you will see, money is not our focus here. But let's be honest, it's a very critical conversation that we all need to think around. And so before we get in and to just say it all, to get rid of all the awkwardness up front, let me, let me give you four promises today as we talk about my money and your money and the wealth that we, that we have. Number one, I'm very sensitive to people being uncomfortable about this. I will not be weird about stuff. At least I don't think I am, although sometimes I think I'm not weird and my kid's saying, Dad, you're weird. So I do, I get that. But here's the other thing I could say, that without a twinge in my conscience, I think I could very easily say, Hope Church does not want anything from you. Be, I, I want you to hear me on that. We don't want anything from you. What we want is something for you. And that's a very uh, critical piece and partly where I want to come from. Because if we get a really solid grasp about what the Bible teaches about money, I think it's actually going to free you and it's going to fill you. I truly, honestly believe that. I have less of a cringe factor about talking this, number three, because I have seen it in my own life. Sarah and I could attest to this. When we, have, when we started to look at money and wealth a different way, it changed us. And I think it actually changed our whole dynamic in our family. And then finally, at the end of the day, you could take or leave what I say. So you have that option. That's totally okay. So hopefully that takes some of the weirdness. Like, you're going to have to go home, and you're going to have to wrestle through what God wants to teach you about the message today. Here's the truth. The Bible says a ton about money and wealth. Did you know that? In fact, most scholars would say Jesus talked about money more often than he talked about heaven. 
There's a lot. Today we're going to get a little understanding of why I believe he talks about this. And, and so one of the ways, one of my approaches today to, to get us thinking around this is I'm going to ask throughout the day three questions. You're not supposed to raise your hand and answer them. Do not do that. These are questions you could write down and you could think about because I think they're really critical questions. And, and here's the other thing I'm just going to confess to you. Over the last few days, I've realized that I've bit off more than I can chew. This topic is so huge that I'm thinking, like, in the future, we're going to have to have this extended out. So I'm just talking about the small portion of it, and I'll talk about that in, in just a second of why I'm going to take this approach. But here's what I want us to think about. Question number one, when we're talking about money, I want us to put this in the back of our mind. What do you believe about eternity? This is for, just for you. Don't say anything out loud. You're just going to wrestle with this in your head. What do you believe about eternity? Or let me state it another way. Um, is this time that we have on earth all that there is? I want to just drop that there. You're going to wrestle with that. Because I think that the answer to this question changes the conversation about money. You see, one of the things that Christians would believe, and again, I don't know where you are in your journey of faith, but one of the things that Christians would believe is that God is eternal. He had no beginning, and he has no end. And even though we are created beings, we have a, we have a beginning and an end on this earth, Christians would believe, most Christians would believe that there's something beyond this life, either with God or without God. So with that in mind, I want to try to help us a little bit with a visual, if I can. And uh, I asked a couple of my boys to help me, so I'm going to have Brian and Nick come up really quickly and help me with this. And we're going to hope this goes the way I want it to go. Brian, I'm going to have you take, um, actually, let's, let's do it this way. Nick, I'm going to have you go just kind of right to the corner of that uh, the stage there. Here, you could take this part. I want you to go to the corner of the stage there. Oh, it's going to run through it. <laughs> let's hold it up a little bit. All right. So let's, let's, um, let's suppose this long line of string is what I'm going to call eternity. Okay? This is eternity. Can we get a visual here? So I'm going to take my little red dot, uh, my little red pen, and I am going to just make a mark here. And this signifies my peace in eternity. Now, when you look at that expanse of ribbon... And you look at my little slice, man, there is a lot more to go around. Is there not? But I, want, I actually want to have more fun with this. Here's what I need. People on the ends of these two sides and even in the back, every 10 or 15 feet, can someone just stand up against the wall? Can someone just, every, it does, this is not, I'm not going to call you out. You, we don't know who you are. Just every 10 or 15 feet all around the room, stand against the wall, Okay. 
Can we do that? And then I'm going to have uh, Brian um, actually, uh, Marilyn, can you come up and stand and hold where Brian is right on the edge of the stage? Brian, I'm going to have you pass this string all the way around this entire room. All right. Let's see if we can do this. Let's see if I bought enough ribbon here. Yeah, we could drop it. We could drop it now. And how we're going to end up is someone's going to end up and Nick's going to end up holding both ends, hopefully. All right? Let's see if this works. Can we do this? If you're watching online right now, what's happening is we have this beautiful mint green ribbon and we are literally taking it in t across the entire room all the way around. Thank you for all your help, everybody. This is great. So now, I want us to look at our tape mark. We did it. So here's my time in eternity. And this is probably very insufficient even as it stands. And so now what I'm going to draw is a little mark about the very beginning of time, going back to Genesis chapter 1. Where should I put that mark? Uh, you know what? I'm just going to put it right here. That means thousands and thousands of years have passed from the beginning of time, as we know it, as the Bible describes it. And here's Tom's little slice. Here's your little slice in this entire vision of eternity. Does it help us with a visual now of how big we're talking and how little we are in our little tiny space in eternity. I'm going to have you, just because I think it's fun, just stay there, everyone. <laughs> in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we find these words. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will, what? Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and what? Multiply. Uh, fill the earth and what? Govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. You say, Tom, what in the world are you saying here? Where are you going with this? Here's what I'm saying. From the very beginning, from the very beginning of time, and what God says about our purpose on earth, it was one thing. That we are not the owners of this world. That's God's job. We are what? We're stewards. We're stewards. Managers. 
He goes, I'm going to give you all these things. You're going to oversee it. You're going to fill it. You're going to multiply it. You're going to reign over this that I have created. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness, everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Thank you, everybody, for helping me with the illustration. I appreciate that. You can uh, head back to your seats, drop that ribbon, and we'll pick that up. When we begin to see our lives and our job on this earth as managers, as stewards, and not as owners, it changes the entire conversation as well. Question number two. How powerful is money really? How powerful is money really? So one of the things that I love about Jesus was that he was a master teacher. And I don't care back in that day, whatever side you were on, whether you agreed with him or not, people saw that in Jesus. And that's why crowds kind of flocked to him speaking. As far as I can tell, he was like the perfect mixture of, like, of wisdom and love in grace, in honesty, charisma, creativity, all of these things, challenge, gentleness. People loved Jesus. He was thoughtful. He took pride in helping people think through things in ways that they never thought through things before. And one of the ways he did this, his most common way, was by teaching in something we call, now we call them parables, right? And so if you look in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, where you, t- where, where you see this, and especially in Luke, where we're going to go in a second, there are tons of parables. They are made-up stories that Jesus uses to teach a lesson. And today I want to look at one with you that talks about money and wealth. And let me l- tell you straight up, it's a little bit weird. And it's a little bit hard to understand. It can be challenging, but we're going to walk through it together thinking about the question, how powerful is money really? And what do you think about eternity really? So we're going to go to Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read all verses 1 through 13. If you want to follow along, you can follow along on the screen or online there. It says, Jesus told this story to his disciples. So let's set the scene. Jesus is out and about. He has his kind of his crew that's around him. Now, I, I happen to think that there's more than just the 12 disciples or the 13. I, I think there's probably a, a crowd of people, just people that kind of follow Jesus wherever he went. They were around, and he started to talk. And he decided he needed to tell a story here because they weren't getting something. He says, so there was a certain rich man who had a manager. We already talked about this a little bit. Who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came in that the manager was wasting his employer's money. All right? So Jesus starts to tell this story that there's this guy who had all this stuff. He was rich. He, was, he had so much stuff that he couldn't manage it on his own. So he had like this, this network of people. And he had one person in particular who oversaw the management of his affairs. 
He probably had the ability to go banking for him, to sign documents for him. So this is the picture that we're getting, okay? So uh, he found out that he was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Deserved it. For some reason, he mismanaged this money. He lost trust. So he's like, you're going to be gone. He goes, get your stuff together. Get, get our affairs in order. And then we'll see you later. So this manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. And I'm too proud to beg. He had a dilemma. He's like, I'm not going out in the field I'm not going to beg for money. I've got to think of something else. I know how to ensure that, he says, that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe my, um, my boss? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. And so the manager told him, take the bill, quickly change it to 400 gallons. How much do you owe my employer? He calls the next person in. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800. I'm going to stop here. This is kind of a weird story, is it not? Like, if you're like me, you're starting to ask all these questions of like, what in the world is going on? Now, we get to the point where Jesus thinks, uh, where everyone thinks Jesus is going to go in a certain direction, and this is where his master teaching skills take a complete left turn, right? He, so he says, um, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than, as, than are the children of light. Now, I'm just sit, maybe like people did when Jesus told them this story. They're like, I don't understand. What is going on here? How does this apply to me? The master, you think he's going to start going off, and the guy sits there and he's like, oh, I'm pretty impressed with what this manager just did. And it was like, what? He compliments the manager for being so shrewd. Now, here's where some people, they, you know, like to debate, and they're like, well, is Jesus promoting dishonesty here? And it's a legitimate question. But if we know anything about the character and the heart of Jesus, that can't be the answer. And I don't think it's the answer at all. Although I would give you, it's a strange way to teach us spiritual truth here. Jesus is actually highlighting um, a story that has a lot of tension in it. Uh, you know, and, and he does it by, by challenging, like, the typical storytelling hero arc. 
See, the dishonest manager is not really a hero in the story, but his actions. What Jesus calls shrewdness (laughs) is being highlighted. In other words, Jesus was commending him for how he was thinking. He He was commending him for his thoughtfulness about his future. And about how seriously he was taken with he needed to do something to change. You see, this guy had made the most out of this limited time and this limited opportunity that his employer had given him. He said, you're about to go, get your affairs in order. And he took that window of time and he did something with it. And here, I think, is the basic point. Don't worry about being a shrewd investor in this age where you can provide a future that will only fail. Instead, be a really shrewd investor by investing in people's lives. Use your resources to do as much good as you can for the glory of God and the eternal good of others. Others who will go before you and welcome you home. And so Jesus now jumps out of the story and he begins to break it down and give him the practical, give them the practical lessons. And here are the lessons from this parable. There are four if you're taking notes. The first, I'm just going to state the obvious and I'm not going to stay there. Lesson number one. See, parables always had a meaning, right? You, people always found themselves in the story and there was always probably this like, this God character, in the story. And in this story, we have God as the owner, and then we had the manager. That's us. And again, I, do, I know all the concepts because this is in biblical times. They don't always transfer exactly, but we get the point. So, lesson number one God is the, um, you are the manager, not the owner. You are the manager of the things God has given you, not the owner. Lesson number two, lesson number two. You need to live in the light of eternity. You need to live in the light of eternity. So here we go. Verse 9. We're still going through our passage. This is where Jesus says, Use your worldly resources in this little speck of time that we have on our ribbon of eternity. Okay? Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What is Jesus saying? What is he commending here? He says, when you take the resources you accumulate in this life and actually use them to serve and love and benefit others and the work of God's kingdom, they end up impacting eternity. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples that even though they were a speck of time in the whole timeline of eternity, the effect of their life and the effect of your life can have an impact that we might never see, that just ripples through time. And that's what I think he's saying when he says, they'll welcome you home. See, these people that you showed favor to, even in the weirdest way, they benefited from that. You got security from that, and they welcomed you into eternity because they went before you. 
your resources right now can make an eternal difference. In other words, what you believe about eternity directly impacts what you think about your money. Lesson number three. Our honesty and faithfulness to the master directly affects what God may want to entrust to us. All right, let me, let me just, I don't want to lose you. Lesson number one, we are the manager, not the owner. Number two, what um, you ought to live in the light of eternity. And number three, our honesty and faithfulness to the master here in our time directly affects what God may want to entrust to us. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, this is again, Jesus says, here's the lessons. He finished his weird story. Now he's like going through these lessons. He goes on. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. If you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly, worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? See, if we live in the light of eternity and we live understanding that we are not owners, we are just managers, we have the responsibility to live with that in mind. And when we faithfully steward those things, God will entrust us with bigger and bigger things. By holding on to as much as we can, which so many of us do and we strive for. And by the way, I've seen so many dedicated, loving, faithful followers of Jesus struggle with this, with their money and their wealth and their possessions. It's a scarcity mindset. But God is interested in you. He's interested in your heart. And that's what he's going to in this parable, the heart of the matter. Final lesson, number four. Money has power in your life. Look at verse 13. Huge verse. You might even know this, even if you're not a church person. It says this. This is Jesus. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Wow. Jesus calls money a master. Which basically he say, what is going to be the supreme thing in your life? Is it going to be my way? Is it going to be me? Or is it going to be the things that you're putting your trust in here on this earth? He says, not that you prefer to serve one or the other. He says, you can't serve both. You can have God and you can have money, but you cannot serve God and money. And this is, again, the irony in which all of us, modern day, and I think throughout time too, but we think about money, wealth, and resources, that they're serving us. Mm -mm. Too many people are, are, are getting served. We serve it. We serve it. Here's the application. You can only have one master. So 
as I'm wrapping up here, you say, you know, what is the application? What am I supposed to be thinking about? I, I, I get it. This is a strange, strange way to make a point, but I think that's the mastery behind what Jesus was doing. And I think here's the takeaway that I think we all need to be thinking about. How are you thinking about eternity right now? How seriously you take that question directly impacts the decisions you make with what God has given you here on this earth when it comes to money and wealth. I've said it many times in the past. We went back in a series recently and I said, you know, uh, um, what you believe determines what? How you behave right? And what Jesus is trying to do here is get people to understand, oh, oh, the heart of the matter. So my question is, how powerful a grip does money have in your life? Don't be deceived. If there's anything that's keeping us from serving God with our full heart, mind, and strength, he talks about It's got its roots in pride or money or both. Here's what I'll say again. Do you really believe God is for you? Keep coming back to this question. If so, you know, God is primarily not interested in your money. He doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He is interested, though, in your heart attitude towards him. So you're going to treat it with open hands? Or are you holding it tightly to your chest? Abundance mindset. This is not mine anyway, God. Just a manager. How can I invest in eternal purposes? So here's my final and last question. Suppose people are at your funeral when you die. What are they going to talk about? You or your money? You or your stuff? Guess what? It's not going to be your stuff. When we get to the end of our life, right, God's going to look at that and people you see so so here's the deal so like when we serve other people people remember and that makes impact for eternity and that's what people remember and God says well done good and faithful I'll close just with a quick story I wasn't going to but I'm but I am going to um, there are a couple families that support Hope Church And here's what's interesting about their story. They don't come here on Sundays. They have in the past. You say, but Tom White telling me this story. Well, here's, here's why. Because in two situations that I know of, and actually a third came up this week, I've had conversations like, why? Why do you give the Hope Church? And I'm talking generously. And they said, you know, here's a deal. We love what you're doing there. We love what God has done through the years at Hope. It's impacted our life. Even if we don't live in Connecticut, we've moved away. It has made that much of a difference in our life 
that we are willing to adjust our income to go back and to support the things that you guys are doing right here in East Hampton and around the world. And I sit there and I'm like, I can't, that is just humbling. When there's people here who come every Sunday and we're going like this with our money, you have people out there saying, you know what? God, use it. And you know what I see? God has blessed and given more and they're stewarding it well, and they just love people. And you know what I'm saying where I'm going with this? That is going to have ripple effects in eternity. Because these people that you don't know about are actually changing your life because they're allowing us to do the things that we're able to do here and reach people. So that's my message about money today. There's so much more to say and there's so much more, to, but I wanna get to the heart of the matter in one of Jesus' most famous and weirdest parables of all. He goes, I appreciate how you're thinking ahead. I appreciate how you're thinking in the light of eternity. Make a difference and make a ripple. Start releasing. Get your hands away from your chest. Abundance mindset, open them up. What are you gonna do with it, God? It's yours anyways. It's not mine. Let's pray. Lord, I have to think that when Jesus told this story, that people were looking around saying, I don't get it. But God, I, 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 I hope that I've been faithful to what I believe you're saying here. And God, I, I, I just wanna live my life in that way. I can't force anybody and we're not here to do that, but God, I've seen how it changes my life and my approach. I've seen how others like in the stories I've told, it's changed their life and their approach to how they give and to how they think about their wealth and the things that they have. I pray just in small ways that today, through my inadequacy, but through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word, that you would just open our eyes in small ways that we would change for the better that we would release the things that we're holding on to. That as a part of our striving for a mindset of abundance, God, that you would just allow us to step out and take a step of faith. That we would think not in the light of what my balance is gonna be in my checking account at the end of the month, but in light of eternity primarily. I thank you for those who have gone before in this church who live in that way and have invested in so many lives. God, I pray that as a church, that we would always be that kind of a place and that we would trust you, that you don't want this because you want something from us, but that because you want something for us and for people that come behind us, that will welcome us into eternity as well because of what we've invested here on this earth. So Lord, thank you for this opportunity and this time. We love you. We ask for your strength and your help in this really hard thing. In Jesus' name.